we all had a dream and we were going to try and fulfill it. It wasn't just musicians, it was like fashion designers that done really well and writers and actors. And it felt like it was part of that scene in the late 90s that was the catalyst for it really. Meet Stanley Chow. Stan is a Manchester-born and bred illustrator whose work has been seen and enjoyed across the world. He's best known for his portraits and his style which creates incredible likenesses with a very minimalist touch and which was inspired by his childhood love of Panini football stickers. You know you've arrived if Stan has created a picture of you. Stan's parents moved from Hong Kong to Manchester and they ran a chippy. Spending his time in the back of the kitchen doodling on chip shop paper, it wasn't long before he was spotted by someone who could see his talent. You'll hear how Stan ended up getting nominated for a Grammy after working with the White Stripes. He's had a lifelong passion for Manchester United, so we recorded this episode at Hotel Football, where his portraits of footballers are still all over the walls six years later after what was supposed to be a six-week exhibition. I'm Lisa Morton from Roland Ransville PR, and this is We Built This City. Stan, welcome to We Built This City. Thank you for inviting me. So you were born and bred Mancunian. Pretty much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and born here in 1974 yeah. and grew up in Altrincham and yeah. until recently were living in Old Trafford for a long time. Yep, yeah, that's right. And moved up to Wally Range yes, now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Don't or down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're recording this in Hotel Football and obviously owned by the class of 92 and we're surrounded by portraits of so many well, United players and football players and so many United legends and you're a massive United fan aren't you? I am yeah I've got a season ticket for my sins but um, yeah. How long now have you had a season ticket? Oh about maybe 12, 13 years now right. yeah. So where's that love of United come from? Well oh god this is a long story this is um, I think my love came from my dad really when he moved over to England back in the 50s well he started working uh, in a restaurant in the all the edge called the Mandarin that's where like Bobby Charlton Nobby Styles. George Best, Dennis Law, all the kind of old school legends, they all used to eat there. So my dad would, you know, look up to him like from then. So when I was growing up, all he ever talked about was with his legends, particularly Nobby Styles. He loved Nobby Styles. But yeah, so that's where it came from. And then when we had a chip in Altrincham, we used to have like Lou McCarry coming in, Gordon McQueen, like plays from the 70s. So I kind of got to meet them. Then we moved to Marple back in the, in the 80s. And we got to meet Tommy Doherty because... My sister became best mates with Tommy Doherty's daughter at that time. And, <laughs> and the whole United connection just, just carried yeah. on, basically. You mean, yeah, you know? so there's no alternative, yeah, yeah. really, for, no, you, for United. All. And so did you spend a lot of time as a young boy in the chippy and well, around, yeah. So, yeah, when my mum and dad were working downstairs in the chippy, I'd be plonked in the back, just kind of like sat there, you know. If the TV wasn't on, I'd be just kind of like with chip paper and a pen and just stood all the way. So that's where it all started? That's pretty much where it started, I'd say, yeah. yeah. And, and so um, what were you drawing those days? I remember drawing, I do remember drawing fish and cats, <laughs> basically. They were, the, they were the things I, I used to remember. I, I don't know why, but they, they were the, were the first things that I drew first. And then I'd say maybe when I reached about seven or eight, I do remember starting drawing footballers and stuff like that, inventing your own football teams and stuff, you know. 
and like. And I'm, what was that influenced by? You used to collect all the. Uh, I used to collect yeah. all the panini stickers yeah. as well. Yeah, you know. So, guess that had a big influence on me as well. You know, if you look at my work, that's very much kind of yeah. where all my work stems from, really. And then, obviously, just because we're sitting here now, we're surrounded by so many incredible portraits. How did that come about? Because they've been here for a long time yeah, now. Well, well uh, it was Gary Neville's partner Jed he just said like there's an exhibition coming down do you want to put some work up to replace the exhibition then it would be like a six month exhibition but then like six years later seven years later now I think you know it's still here so I'm kind of quite quite flattered really it's, it's nice that it's still here you know it's just become synonymous with yeah. uh, hotel football hasn't it well I like to think yeah I like to think so yeah <laughs> and do you get any orders on the back of the exhibition here yeah every now and again you, you, have, you have people kind of like emailing me actually you get a lot of kind of um, people from America actually I mm. like them who, who said oh I've just seen your pictures they just remembered me like from coming here and then when I get back home they'll email me yeah well they're amazing I mean and have you got a favourite in here yeah oh god <laughs> I don't know, it changes your time. Like, like the, the Andreas Perlo one was always my favourite for a while. Just because he's just a magnificent mm. human being. You know, when you, <laughs> when you, you know, I find it hard to pinpoint a favourite United player. Again, I love them all, but Perlo, he's just a bit different. And that's kind of why I probably like that one most. And we've got Maradona here and we've got Scolzi who looks yeah. actually like, is a faint smile around his lips, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even captured that. No, no, I don't think there's a smile there. No. <laughs> Is there anybody that you've not painted in any footballer or a United player that you've not drawn that you'd like to? Oh goodness me! I'm just trying to think now. It's like I don't know. I don't. I don't name. Don't name. If there's an area, it's probably more the seventies players that I haven't done. You know, right. you know, like, like I have. I have done most areas like the eighties, nineties, and not obviously not a time to do everyone yet. But like all my heroes from the. 80s and 90s and up to up to the last 20 years or so I've done basically yeah I've missed out like Gordon McQueen and Joe Jordan and Lou Macari and it's, I don't know why actually I just kind of maybe it's because there's less pictures of him because you need a lot of pictures to be able to kind yes, of get of the course. capture the lightness, the lightness. You mean, yeah to get the lightness you I feel I have to know the person like for me to be confident enough to even begin to illustrate him so it's so mainly because of the lack of um footage and stuff makes it harder for me to begin to draw one of them well no Hayley McQueen so I'm sure we'll get a oh, lot yeah. of, uh, yeah. <laughs> of references for you there and do you just decide kind of spontaneously does somebody just come into your mind do you think sometimes it's spontaneous sometimes there's also a long list as well so and the long list becomes a, a point of spontaneity it's like hmm who should I choose from this list so so you just pick one really you know there's no physical list there's a list in your head yeah, yeah. who you like I need to do him I need to do him and then and then I only do them when there's a when I've actually not got any proper work on because I'm so busy anyway with commissions it's like when oh what should I do now I just need it got a bit of downtime I'll just do a footballer or just do any not even necessarily a footballer just anyone really you know or even just draw something else that sometimes I'll go into a completely different direction you know yeah so you're doing food and stuff at the moment aren't you yeah, yeah, I've been doing a lot of food, but that's because I've kind of been, you know, that's probably my second favourite thing after football, <laughs> you know, it's like, and having grown up, I'm like, surrounded by food, it's just one of those things yeah. that is just there, you know, but yeah, I, I do have a fascination of illustrating food. Yeah, no, I've looked at some of that stuff, yeah. I really like it actually, and so were you not spotted by somebody in, in the chippy one time, were you drawing it? Um... Oh yeah, but yeah, what happened was... I was working in the chippy. This is when we had a chippy in High Lane. We, we, we kind of moved about, really, you know. But um, we had, it was in High Lane. I was just finished art school. I was working in the chippy. 
and I was just doodling while the guy who ordered some food was just just waiting basically for the food and he says like and he basically asked me so what so what do you do then I work in a chippy that's that's basically <laughs> what I said he says no 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 what do you do you want to aspire to be you know what I mean I says well I just finished art school blah de blah de blah you know and just kind of working in a chippy just to kind of make a bit of money and and trying to work out my career plan and he just said well I'm a mate of the director at um, JWT I'll set up a meeting with him you know and he set up a meeting I had a chat with him and he basically said well we don't take on illustrators per se like full time at JWT but my friend is a illustration agent her office is down the road I'll set you a meeting with her so she was called Jenny Lamb and she owned an agency called the Northern Art Collection so I had a meeting with her and then before you knew it I was on their books, you know, and that's how it kind of started for me, really. All about the connections, isn't it? Particularly well, yeah, it was, Manchester, it, yeah. Well, it was just luck, yeah, it was yeah, luck, luck. you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, well, wasn't, if I wasn't drawing at that time, mm. I mean, I guess you've got to make your own look, you know what I mean? You do. And however, well, the harder you work, the more the luckier you get, I guess, you know what I mean? It's the way I kind of Very see much it. so. JWT was such a Manchester institution back in the day when yeah. I was getting into right. my career as well, yeah. Well, I didn't really know anything about that industry yeah. at all, really. But then there's a guy called Sid Wolf who worked there, and, yeah, and from being like like starting to get work, is like all of a sudden this big character called Sid Wolf was like was was a name that you just heard all the time. And what was your first kind of commission then at that point? My first commissions then were like we mainly doing like um, fashion mags and stuff like that, you know, and um, more magazine and Just Seventeen and Sugar magazine. There, <laughs> I did a few kind of like Sunday Times fashion supplements so weirdly well it wasn't weird actually because all my work was kind of like quite fashion based mm. when I left college you know because I felt there was a there was a gap in the market yeah. then, you know and like that's the road I, I chose yeah at the time just 17 that takes me back my dad wouldn't yeah. let me have that oh, I used right. to have to hide it right, between yeah. my books in my room when I bought that one <laughs> when I was about 14 well, and it said I was too young well I did well, <laughs> you know in more magazines there's position the fortnight I actually did some of them actually which was kind of quite weird but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your mum and dad so they moved to Manchester from Hong Kong well yeah my dad came to England in the late 50s he first went to Halifax for a few years and then okay. ended up in Aldley Edge and my mum came over in the 70s but I think my dad met my mum okay in Hong Kong because back in the day there are no Chinese women over here you know and also back in the day I guess the whole white Chinese mix was really taboo so so Chinese men went back to Hong Kong Right. Looking for a partner and then come back again. You know, that was the how they did it back in the day. Right. And my mum was one of those women that met my dad and came over here. Oh, was she happy? <laughs> <laughs> was she happy to be moved out of Hong Kong to Manchester? questions I kind of really thought about asking actually at the time. At the time. She's passed away now. Both of them have. But like, um, but yeah, but no, yeah, these are questions I wish I'd asked when, yeah. I, when they were around, you know, but you just kind of live you life, do, don't you? You just crack on, don't yeah. you? Particularly I think in the 70s, it, yeah. you didn't have those moments where you all sat around a table and, no. and asked deep questions. Were you close to your parents though? I don't know. I, th- I think we were close then maybe not mm. <laughs> sometimes we know we're close in terms of like we hung out a lot but then I guess what we weren't close about were kind of expressing mm. our feelings for each other but I think, I think that's a Chinese thing anyway see we always right. kind of didn't really talk about deeper feelings we just got on with things mm. you know what I mean and just, I think that's the main difference between my family now with my mm. kids and my wife from my family my parents and stuff like that you know 
that you're very much more open in terms of yeah, sharing yeah. feelings yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And were your parents grafters? I'm assuming running. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, this is. Uh, I guess the, the main issue was is like even they were there, we, we never really saw them because they work from seven days a week basically, mm. or maybe. A, Took the Monday off actually, but like him, but it was seven days a week. They'll get up at nine in the morning, work till two in the morning, you know. Yeah, and that was that most days. They'll have the rest on a Monday and then it'll be back to the grindstone again. Mm. So, so, do you think you kind of the work ethic you've got from your parents and what did you think you've well, learned from well, them? Well, this is it's, I'm a bit of a contradiction, is it? Because my parents used to tell me I was a lazy bugger. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I still see myself as a lazy bugger, but then when I compare myself to a lot of people, it's like, I think I work 10 times harder than everyone else, you yeah. know. So yeah, no, I do know I work hard, but I probably don't work as hard as parents probably expected mm. me to, you know. It's a different way of working though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, your artwork and your illustrations, you're prolific, aren't you? You don't yeah. stop. So it's just yeah. a different output, isn't it? In a yeah, different so, way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's our parents' jobs to tell us we're lazy buggers though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is it true that your dad decided to call you Stan because of Stan Ogden off? Well, that's the legend anyway, yeah. Because ultimately, like, my parents wanted me to integrate into British society. Mm. And like, but my dad actually decided to actually put that on my passport because most Chinese kids at that time will have the Chinese name and that'll be in their passport and their birth certificate and stuff like that. But then they'll just be called an English name just mm. to kind of yeah. fit in with society. But my dad just said, look, no, he's giving me an English name on his passport, on his birth certificate. And I, so I don't have a Chinese name on my, on my birth certificate or passport, you see. But it's his mate who works in the bank next door who watched Coronation Street and he was the one that gave my dad his English name, which is Michael, you know. So he, so he kind of like named me as well. My godfather's actually called, well, he's passed now, but he's called Stan Ogden. Right. So yeah, and that <laughs> was, crazy. he was from Salford in the, yeah. the when the Coronation Street. But what was it like for you growing up then? Were there other Chinese kids in the community or how did that? Well, yeah, we had some family friends who lived in Timpley when we mm. lived in Orchingham. So, so they weren't at the same school as me, but like we used to see them like once every fortnight or so, you know. But in terms of Chinese community, there was none really. I was the only Chinese kid in school. Which at a young age, it didn't register really. I was just another kid. But as you get older, towards the late primary school, kids start getting a bit meaner, you know. I do remember like a, a time when like, oh God, this is really, really, you get me getting really deep now. But like, there was stuff like, um, my parents would have like Chinese shopping bags and stuff like that, you know. And I'll mm. be like, I don't want anything to do with being... Chinese, don't give me Chinese shopping bags because I get picked on by the kids. So any kind of thing that made me more Chinese than I actually was, mm. I just tried to like eliminate from my being really. So I spent a lot, had a lot of that going through my kind of youth really. But then it kind of changed when I got older. You mm. kind of, I kind of embraced Chineseness when, when I reached my twenties. But when I was younger, it was you know, you just kind of because it was just one of those things you used to get picked on, yeah. like people doing the slinty eye, slanty eye stuff, and it's like. It becomes water for ducks back after a while, but shouldn't but, have but, to be. You know, I do remember when I was younger; it was kind of mm. stuff you had to mm. had to deal with. Really, it's interesting. I was at a conference not long ago in Manchester, yeah. and obviously, this podcast is called "We Built the City," and it takes lots of different types of people from yeah. different you know, parts of the world to build a city. And I said, you know, we pride ourselves on being a city that welcomes people. Yeah. But is that a reality for you? Because there were a number of different kind of ethnic groups who'd perhaps come over here to settle or whatever. And they said, well, the reality of that isn't the case. Once you've formed the community, yeah. then communities can do a lot, but it's not still not that easy necessarily to create that and get that support. Well, it's both ways, really, because there are people who will support you who, who are definitely kind of like happy for you to be here. You mean it? Mm. But then there's the whole kind of 
tribal... Well, yeah, well, I say it's the whole 50-50% Brexit thing. Oh, yeah. There's one side yes, of people of course, who are yeah. like... <laughs> Who are, who are happy to have this and then there's an other half that there's mm. just aren't you see you mean know, and and I guess like with the whole kind of referendum they cottoned on to that mm. and really used it really you know mm. and do you feel that there's much more acceptance now I mean, you've got two daughters 10 and 12 approximately is that right well I feel yeah. there's a lot of acceptance but yeah. like um, but also at the same time I'm kind of immune to it now I don't mm. see it don't see it's it. just kind of like and I don't think it the race issue affects me in my job per se because nobody actually sees who I am, mm. really. Mm. I mean, it's only more recently when when I've become a kind of a, a face. But back in the day when I was starting out, nobody, everyone just saw the name Stanley and that was a, that's as English as it comes, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, so it kind of, my dad calling me Stanley kind of works in that sense, I think. But now that I've become more confident in myself and and I've become, have a high profile within mm. the creative industry, that's when I've become happier to show my face a bit more. Mm. And but I say it's it's kind of, you know, all the kind of shit I used to get, I'm used to it. And I don't feel it the same and and I guess it just bounces off me and I and I still carry on anyway, you mean know. But having said that, like where my kids go to school, it's such a mixed community anyway. Yeah. All their friends are all mixed. There's like everyone's either black, half black, half Indian, Indian, full Indian, half white, whatever, you whatever you want to call it. But, that's what all their friends are, you know. Yeah. You know? So they're not going to get that yet. Yeah. They're going to struggle with it. It'll be when they're a bit older. But right now, it's like everyone's a mix of something. Mm. So they don't they don't see it yet, really. No, that's the best type of community to be in. Oh, isn't yeah, yeah, it? absolutely. I yeah. think Rowetta was on the podcast not long ago, and she yeah. said that she'd grown up in Cheatham Hill and then yeah. moved to Bury, and she said it was she didn't know any different in Cheatham Hill, but moving to yeah. Bury it was a distinct change. So you said that you went off to art school in Swindon and then... Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you always going to come back to Manchester? What was the pull? Well, I went to Swindon because it's the only place that, that I got into when I was at, after Art Foundation course. I basically kind of set my sights too high, applying for Goldsmiths and whatever, and I was at Central St. Martin, and I was like, I probably wasn't good enough to go in there anyway. So um, by the time we went to Clearing, there was like, I want to be in London, really. And... Swindon was the closest place that had any places left, yeah. like to London, and um, so that's why that's why I ended up there. But the re- reality was, when you're in Swindon, it's nowhere near London at all. Even though on the map it's down south, <laughs> and it's like, and there's also like, like even back in the '90s, it was like forty quid to even get into the yeah. city. And I was like, I'm not going to spend as much time in London as as I imagined. So basically, after after the course, it was like moving back to to Manchester was a no-brainer because I came back up to Manchester I could work in a chippy make money but also realising London was just kind of like this place is expensive even back then you mean in the 90s and I was like so I never really gave London a second thought really you know once I moved back to Manchester and then when you came back how did you make ends meet because obviously as a creative you're not it's not a traditional route into a a job is it so what were you doing around Manchester to help you Keep going. Well, I was, I was mainly DJing, really. I, I somehow landed on my feet DJing because, you know, that was my, my other passion is buying records, you know. And um, so what happened was I was just hanging out with a mate. She was a DJ, Jane Compton. And she had a, she got double booked for a night. And I says, look, look, I've been double booked. I know you're not, I know you haven't DJ before, but like, um, can you cover for me? She said, and I said, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll have to have to practice on your decks and stuff. So I practiced, I DJed, and then there was like a booker from Dry Bar across the road. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was DJing at um, 
Martin Freds, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And I says, like, oh, you're really good. Do you want to DJ at Dry Bar? I says, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, then when I was DJing at Dry Bar, that night was like, there's a guy who works at Sankey's. He says, like, do you want to do the chill-out room in Sankey's, Sankey's Soap? I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it was, it was just kind of, that's how I landed on my feet, like DJing. So I ended up kind of like DJing throughout town, like um, like throughout the 90s. I had like a regular night at um, Night and Day mm. and a regular night at um, Fab Cafe. And that was kind of, that was it for most of the night, uh, late 90s really, you know. I was DJing like three or four nights a, a week, which was pretty weird, you know what <laughs> I mean? Uh, but, but good fun. You've mentioned some really iconic places there. Fab yeah. Cafe used to be near next to our old um, office oh, years right, ago. Yeah. That, was a, that was a place and a half, yeah. wasn't it? That was strange. So in those days in the 90s doing that, you must have met some really interesting people because a real crowd in Manchester then, wasn't there? Well, basically night and day was where I spent all my daytime anyway, you mean, uh, I mean, I wasn't getting much illustration work, <laughs> but not through lack of trying, it was just kind of, I wasn't, yeah. but yeah, met all the elbow lot there, Balladrum Boy, Andy Hotel, Doves, basically all the, all the Manchester bands you knew that who mm. were always, were all there basically. And even now, like after like nearly 20 odd years, still friends now, you know. Mm. And great. I've read that you felt there's a, a feeling at that time that, Everyone was on the cusp of something, that oh, they yeah, all, yeah. but they had the confidence that it would happen. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't the confidence. It, it's like we all had a dream and and we were ful- fulfilling. We were going to try and fulfil it. It was when Damon Goff, when he when he got his re- record deal and he, and he won the Mercury Award, it's like if Damon can do it, we can all do it. It was like <laughs> a, a secret kind of like this is the start of something because because he'll bring his success like to the area yeah. and it'll kind of like the spotlight will be on everyone else around here. You know I mean, and I felt like because. He did what he did. It just gave us everyone else a bit more belief as well in terms of being able to create something, mm. like create inroads, you know. Mm. But when you, what you realise, but from what Night and Day was, it was like it wasn't just musicians. It was like fashion designers that, that were done really well, and writers and actors. And it's like, and it's like, whoa, these are people I've met like thirty years ago, mm. twenty five years ago, and it's like, and they're all doing mega well now, you know. And it felt like it was part of that scene in the in the late 90s that was the catalyst for it really mm, so that was a really great time to be oh, around yeah, in yeah, Manchester yeah, yeah fantastic and then you had a key moment with, uh, when the White Stripes spotted a bootleg post you'd made didn't oh, yeah, you yeah. how did that <laughs> led to a Grammy it led to a Grammy nomination <laughs> right, yeah. I mean it's like it's good or how like I, I tell people it's a Grammy nomination yeah everyone says you won the Grammy <laughs> yeah but then it kind of like then, then obviously Chinese whispers the, the truth gets embellished a bit and then it's like it ends up me winning a Grammy <laughs> That's then it'd be an Oscar. I know. But That's okay. PR. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but no, yeah, no. I think it's a weird time because it was just before the recession. You know, when I got nominated for the um, like for the Grammy Award, but like which was, one? But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish, I wish. God, I think I think it'd be really different if I did win it now. I think it, made, it got me noticed in America, mm. and that was the key change. Even though it happened during the recession, it gave me something like it. It was like a good thing on your CV, really. Because it's something like I would brag about, you know what I mean? Obviously, because you... Clearly. And then when, when people kind of like read, oh, yeah, he got nominated for Grammy, it's like people's ears prick up a bit. And then it just kind of, I say, like um, I had a year of struggling after that nomination, but then it just blew up, you know, in America. I ended up in like the New Yorker magazine. And then it was like, I was on every magazine, you know. There were weeks when I would be like in the Wall Street Journal, Time... New Yorker, GQ, all in the same week, you know, and I was like, pretty nice feeling, really. You yeah. kind of know you made it if, when you're kind of working for all them. 
But that's so interesting, isn't it? Because people don't see, like you say, all the graph you've done before, going yeah. back to the, you know, the biro and, and chip paper yeah. and the chippy, and then all the stuff that you've done and the DJing and making those yeah. connections. They just, so how did that feel? Did you kind of take your success? Did you congratulate yourself at that point? Oh, you know what? I don't, I don't, you don't have a chance to kind of congratulate yourself because at that time, I was like, I'm just about to have a baby, just moving into new house. And I was like, you don't really have <laughs> yeah, a chance to kind of real. Yeah, yeah, you know. So it was a case of like, oh, Christ, got a kid now got a mortgage <laughs> and that's when my focus went it was like it was a focus was just trying to make a, a real proper living out of this mm. i mean that's when i quit djing really because it, it got to a point where i was definitely making more money from illustrating than i was djing so mm. something had to give mm. so djing got pushed aside and i just really kind of like knuckled down and started like um creating more artwork really you know and then creating the print shop and then art became more dominant thing in what I did really you know mm. so so yeah I never really kind of thought well, this is great it was like <laughs> right I've got to make sure this child doesn't die <laughs> and this roof is still above you know <laughs> it's so true it becomes doesn't it that becomes yeah. like well you got to put the bread on the table and so that was obviously the kind of the platform that moved you on and then mm. was life very different after that for you when you suddenly you say you're in the New Yorker and GQ was it did you feel a real shift in your career at that point yeah it felt a shift it felt like I was working every day I shouldn't complain because I'm working every day and doing what I wanted to do mm. doing that and also being a parent I was like this is really hard work now you know but yeah I definitely felt the shift of me having to grow up a few more gear and um Obviously, as an artist and a creative person, you know, the last 18 months have been yeah. very, very difficult for uh-huh. lots of people. As a creative person, do you ever have that fear that every single day is like a new job, I suppose, isn't it? Do you ever, are you ever concerned that anything might dry up or oh, what? Yeah. It's, yeah. Every year is like, I have the fear, like yeah. every January, <laughs> you know, it's like, I've had, a, I've, I've had a quite good year now. And then it's like, yeah. if I don't get anything on the, by the end of the first week of January, mm. I'm like panicking mm. again. But, but having said that, like, I do have lots of kind of like little side hustles lined up just in case if if no work comes along i've got other stuff like that i can yeah. work on like creating t-shirts and creating football shirts and creating i can't remember what my other little side hustle was but now it's like there's the whole nfts now yeah like, okay that, that's my new side hustle now it's there it's it's not something i'm gonna have to rely hopefully rely on but like i've got things it's lined up if yeah. if the work doesn't start coming mm. in you know what i mean I think that's just good advice for anyone, isn't it? Have a side hustle. You've yeah. always got to have that. And we've n- we've never seen that so much as we have in the last 18 yeah. months. And how do you feel then? Obviously, your work's all around Manchester and it's uh-huh. all around the world. How does that make you feel now when you see that? It's an absolute buzz. Because I've definitely crossed a boundary in terms of just being an illustrator that nobody knows. Where, like, from here now being interviewed by you, it's kind of like... Because as an illustrator, I didn't go into this job being well known I just yeah. I just got into the job just because I've loved drawing pictures so being well known is just this weird extra thing that's just happened you know, what I mean? which, is, which I say is never expected you know mm. but it is weird like I was out on Tuesday night and I probably got stopped about five times like, are, you, are you Stanley Chow and it's like yeah I am <laughs> you know? but so so when people recognise it it's mad yeah. I'm, I'm a kid's Probably they roll their eyes now. Do they? But yeah, but there was a time when, like, I tell, I tell you, my, my favourite thing ever about being kind of well known was watching Paddington Bear, and then they did this shot where they're panning around London, and um, when they pan around London, it kind of like focused on an advert I did for McDonald's on the pan, and both my kids kind of like stood up in the cinema and said, "Daddy, that's your picture," and that was like one of my wow. proudest kind of. 
proudest moments oh, of kind of having my work recognised. That's amazing. Yeah. And are they proud of you, girls? I think I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're kind of like. But I think they kind of they're used to it now. My wife's a photographer, and like she's she takes pictures of famousish people. They're just, they're just part and parcel of of what they know now. You mean? Are you girls creative? I think so. They have like peaks and troughs of creativity. Sometimes they're like a, it's like all the pens and and stuff <laughs> comes out, and then sometimes it's kind of like nothing happens for a few weeks, and then then it's all pens and pencils and clay and everything. I mean, but yeah, there's lo- there's loads of lo- evidence of the, of them being creative in the house, where you know where the pictures that they've done are all stuck up on the walls and the little things made out of clay is all, all dotted around the house oh, I love those years yeah. was such a, it's a great time at that age so in terms of other projects that you've got at the moment we're working with the amazing team at Co-op Live and okay, yeah. the first time I walked in there a few months ago walked straight in obviously yeah. you've got all your portraits in the HQ there in the yeah. Northern Quarter Harry Styles, who's yeah. one of the, the main um, investors it looks fantastic I mean how did that commission come about? You know, you know what? I, I don't know. It was just like <laughs> a phone call out of the blue. And there's an email out of the blue. And it was like, you know, it was Sarah who, uh, Sarah Tompkins, mm. she emailed me and said, look, you know, we're we're after kind of like Manchester Creatives to, to kind of build a, to work alongside Cope being built and stuff. So it was like me, there's Kevin Cummings and Axie. And like they want to kind of like produce art like around surrounding the um, the development of Co-op Live basically and and yeah so it was just I'm really flattered that they picked me as well so you know it was, it was nice she, she told me yeah she told me this is what the plan was and I thought yeah I'll be I'm into it yeah you know I'll, I'll play along and see what happens so hopefully an opportunity to illustrate even more yeah. uh, artists coming come to Manchester now they got yeah. It's going to be some great stars there's, coming. There's that, and the more the more selfish thing is getting free tickets. Without a doubt. Listen, we're all about that. Yeah. <laughs> and have you got any other projects on the go as well? What's coming up now? Well, at the moment, I'm just finishing like a series of kids' books. They're uh, they're basically based around activists, famous people. So the first one I did was Martin Luther King, they're like little kids' books for like four to five year olds. Second one was Jane Goodall. She was like environmentalist, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Then there's Jackie Robinson. It was the first black um, baseball player to play in the NBA, NBA, ML, MLA or whatever. Mm. And yeah, just done Walt Disney and Bruce Lee. And the last one is Greta Thunberg is that I'm, I'm working on, of the series of eight that I'm, that I'm doing. So yeah, so that's been quite Amazing. fun. You know, the Walt Disney one comes out at Christmas and then the other ones will be coming out next year. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. I look forward to seeing those. And just in terms of like talking about Manchester, it's known as a city of artists. Yeah. Are there any other Manchester-born or bred artists that have inspired you? Oh, Manchester-born, oh God. This guy, Andy Rotel, he's from Marple. I mean, we should, we should have met when we lived in Marple, but we never mm-hmm. met, you know, but I met him in like hanging out in town. And in terms of, I'm not sure how many people know him, but he's a, he's a record producer, a graffiti artist. A DJ, record mixer, he owns a record label, a graphic designer, is is everything. And like um on, when I first met him, I was like, Christ, you're doing all this stuff. Do you ever stop? And the fact that he doesn't stop is I see that as my inspiration really. Yeah. He just he just kind of he, he doesn't know how to stop really, <laughs> you know. Because if he's not designing a logo 
or designing a record sleeve for, for like like for a record he's bringing out. He's actually he's rapping, or he's actually remixing something or creating a mixtape or something, you know. And yeah, I think he's um like for me he's he's been my biggest inspiration. I'd say you know he's he's a good friend as well, but like um. So I hope he doesn't hear this. That's the truth, Lancy. Yeah. He's, like, he's like, he just does amazing stuff. Yeah. And um, what he does isn't, isn't mainstream, but he's just, but that's irrelevant. Mm. But what he but what he does is he's just so prolific in everything yeah. he does. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's a, it's a great trait, isn't it? Yeah. But then I, it seems to be that that's how you live your life as well. You have always got something on the go. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess you know I try not to be bored you know what I mean I think I think the whole part of life is work hard but also if you've got the time just to do stuff that you enjoy you know well that's quite a good value to live your life yeah. so it's a good opportunity for me to ask you are there any of the values of the Roland Dransfield way that particularly stand out for oh, you well yeah the um yeah well the first thing that obviously that sprung to mind was don't be a dickhead like um <laughs> yeah but I wouldn't put it that way. It's just like just be nice to everyone. Yeah, is essentially the yeah. the um the, the trait that I kind of yeah. like to think I stand by. You mean know, mm-hmm. every I, I, I'm nobody's perfect. I might have slipped a few times and got angry, but like but generally like um be nice to everyone and then and I think everything just everything will work its way out really. You I mean know, I think people will just be nice back to you and that's how we kind of mm. that's how doors open really. Completely. Well yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on that point, I mean, we talk about relationships and the importance of those at, at Roland Dransfield. Uh, and I think it's a city that's really built on those. Uh, and exactly as you say, I mean you've made you've built those relationships in your life, haven't yeah. you, over that period of time and you've all looked after each other. I mean that bunch of people yeah. going back to the nineties, uh, you all looked out for each other. That's the way to live, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And also just in terms of like the art scene going forward in Manchester mm-hmm. and it's we know there's a legacy for sure, but what's the future looking like? Are we supporting you talent enough in the city? And what you know, what you're seeing coming through? Well what I'm seeing through is is like because the city's just growing so quickly, it's it's opened up more opportunities for everyone, you know. It seems like there's a lot of people who are who are quitting their the bigger creative companies and, and starting their own. Mm. And it also seems like like um, everyone's actually finding work but I think that's just due, due to the fact that this city is growing so quickly you know yeah. and like um, there was a time when I felt wow this city's grown growing so fast are there going to be enough people to, to actually kind of be in the city to actually you know to actually live in here you know it's like and it's like I think there will be you know the speed of people coming up from other country, countries as well as other cities yeah. it's like it's phenomenal you know and like the buses are getting busier every every yeah. week, and it's um I can honestly see like, like positivity in this mm. in this city. It's blowing me away how how fast it is because sometimes you you walk into this, into town and it's like, where's this building come from? It's not even a building; it's like an area. Like, <laughs> where's this new area yeah. popped up from? You, yeah. mean, you know, yeah. And uh, but also it gets it gets populated really quickly as well. You know, it doesn't, and that's that's where you can see where definitely um where there's work. There's going to be creativity as well, you see. So Definitely. I don't feel there's going to be an issue if people are worried about finding creative jobs in the city. Yeah, it's not drying up any time no, no, soon, no. is it? So that leads me on to our Manchester quickfire. Okay. So what would you say is the most inspirational place to sit and create in Manchester for you? <sighs> Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god this ain't very quick fire sorry. <laughs> I can ask you another no. one if you don't like that one 
it used to be just night and day, but like on the bar and night and day. Yeah. Yeah. With a coffee. Right. Yeah. That's a good answer. Um, which mank have you not illustrated yet that you'd like to? Oh. Oh, God. Another quick one. Another hard one. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. Brian Cox. I've not done him. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, Good shout. I'll, yeah. I'll, okay. We'll wait to see that soon then. I'll, I'll, wait, for him, I'll wait for him to commission me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're sitting here with a yellow sweatshirt on that yep. says fish and chips. <laughs> and we <laughs> always have to ask everyone on We Built the City what you ordered the chippy. So I'm interested. Is it fish and chips? I, I order it's always, um, yeah, it's always fish and chips. And, <laughs> and it used to be curry sauce, but now um, as well. But I'm finding like chippy curry isn't that great anymore. So I make my own. Do you make your own? Do yeah. you? What well, I'm saying make me your own is like, I have a special packet that, that I get from the Chinese, <laughs> like, like from the Chinese supermarket that I'd rather have instead of the one I get from the chippy. <laughs> well, you need to speak to uh, Richard yeah. Lees because he makes his own mushy peas. He oh, said right, yeah. mushy peas aren't good <laughs> enough anymore. Um, best thing to come out of Manchester? At the moment, I'll take Gary Neville. Oh, good. At, why? Because I think, because, you know, when I, I was a fan of his as a footballer when he was playing football, but, you know, I think what, what is, is a great ambassador for the city mm. and not just for the city, just just in terms of kind of like for the people. Yeah. And um, I think all the things he says, I, I kind of, um, I'm kind of really agreeing with you. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, obviously it's really quite surprising when, when footballers like put their head above the parapet because it's the football fans essentially that, that, all the ones that are shooting him down really I mean but he's kind of like rising above mm. the football fans that used to support him and they tend to shut up and stop just keep talking about football but he's just carrying on mm. he doesn't kind of you know he I guess he has a kind of set of beliefs that he just kind of um, he, and he has to speak out because he, he has the the platform to do so and, I'm, and I feel really kind of honoured to know him and, and work for him as well you know Fantastic. Well, he said that <coughs> politicians got into football, so he yeah. then had to get into politics. So I think it's probably summed it up. And what do you miss about Manchester most when you're not here? I miss the the diversity of Manchester, in not just the people, but the food. Because you have everything here. In fact, like um, you, there's probably more choice of different or food choices when you're in, in Manchester than, than there is in any other yeah. city, really. You mean? Yeah. So that's that's what I kind of that's what I miss about Manchester. You yeah. know. Yeah, the restaurants. Yeah, food. Yeah, food, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's just kind of I like food. <laughs> yeah. And your legacy is obviously undoubted and it's ca- you've captured so many people in your yeah. portraits and do you have any other burning desires and what would you want your legacy to be in Manchester? Oh, my God. I, I never. Sorry, can I have a lie down after this? <laughs> the thing was that I'd never even envisioned, you know, well, no, the two trains of thought I have actually like mm. um, I never expected to to reach this point in my career to even even think I would have a legacy. You mean know? so just to have just having to answer that question is hard enough. But you know, it's just kind of like just a bloke who draws pictures and everyone knew him and thought he was a nice guy. He's probably enough. You mean know, as a legacy? But there was one side of me who used to think I want to draw pictures to a point where. I'm changing the world, but how I'm going to change the world, I don't know. But you know, but that's kind of that's 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 my over ego that, that kind of says like you know, if I can change the world, I would help the world. You know, in whatever way. There is a a, a frippy inside of me somewhere. I mean, my wife does a lot of kind of like charity work and stuff like that. So it's all kind of um, it's all inbuilt. Yeah. 
Don't but you, you give your a lot of your artworks to charity yeah. and, and you use your platform in that way, don't yeah. you? So that's I think we all want to to do yeah. that, don't we? Yeah. What did you say? A, a normal bloke who draws pictures. And just a normal who's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a wonderful legacy. Thank you so much for joining us today when we built this city, and thank you for your contribution in helping to kind of put Greater Manchester on on the global stage and make us great in our own backyard and, and across the world. So, and thanks for your time today. Well, thank you for having me, and yeah, nice one. Stanley Chow built this city by almost winning a Grammy, by drawing fish and cats in the back of his parents' chippy, and by spending most of his days and nights at Night and Day Cafe. On the next episode of We Built This City, you'll hear from Geraldine Ryan, one of Manchester's most prominent lawyers and litigators, who's handled some of the biggest defamation and reputation cases and is a massive champion of the legal profession being a career accessible to everyone. That episode will be available on November the 18th. If you want to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at rdprtweets or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 25 years on 0161 236 1122. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built This City. Thank you. Thank you.